Welcome to the Willamette Week podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. Welcome one and all to the Willamette Week podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Today is January 9th, and we are starting the episode with a 90-second news flash. We start with the biggest news story of 2021 so far, and that is pro-Trump protesters storming the U.S. Capitol, smashing through windows, and carrying Confederate flags through private offices and halls. Four people died, but luckily Oregon Senators Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley were safely evacuated. At the Oregon State Capitol, Proud Boys and Trump fans clashed with Antifa and leftist groups. Rubber bullets were fired, tear gas was used, punches were thrown. Esquire magazine listed 100 restaurants America cannot afford to lose as COVID-19 has already taken far too many. Portland restaurants Han Oak and Nong's Kauman Guy made the list. Both are just awesome institutions. Tina Kotek will remain as House Speaker after Rep. Janelle Bynum ended her challenge to Kotek's role. Casey Jama has been appointed to the District 24 Senate seat, becoming the first Muslim in the Senate. There will be no point-in-time count for Portland's homeless population this year, but 2019's point-in-time count made one thing very clear. Black Oregonians are at a greater risk of homelessness in Multnomah County. While they make up 16% of the homeless population, they only account for 7% of the total population in the county. This has been 90 Second News Flash. Folks, now it's time for our main story, which is brought to us by reporter Rachel Monahan. Rachel wrote this week's cover story about the new COVID-19 vaccines. I know a lot of people are really excited for these. It hints at a post-pandemic life that could be filled with hugs, handshakes, and happiness. See that? That's a little alliteration for you. But some people aren't super stoked about the vaccine, and Rachel breaks down the four groups of people who are going to hold off getting the vaccine for as long as they can. These groups are crunchy earth mothers who are listening to their chakras instead of Fauci, anti-mask Republicans, immigrants who either lack trust in the American medical community or are undocumented farm workers who are suspicious of the government-administered aspect of the vaccine, and lastly, black Oregonians who lack trust in the medical community. For more on this, I talked to Rachel herself. Take us behind the curtain a little bit. When did the idea of this story come into your head? How does it work as somebody who's been in the newsroom for a long time pitching a cover story? This story is totally unique. In 2019, I'd heard of a pediatrician who was essentially a leader in the anti-vax movement here in Oregon. The best cover stories are often stories that grow out of previous reporting. So I profiled that doctor for the paper. Um, And then uh, fast forward to the pandemic, and it seemed time to look again at the state of Oregon's anti-vax movement. I mean, I, I think that you, me, and a bunch of people were waiting for a vaccine 
as far back as uh, April, March. Um, and so it was time to look at who wouldn't be waiting for a vaccine was the idea. When you talked about herd immunity, you talked about in the article Fauci recommending 85% uh, to be the number that we should hit in order to go back to, to, to business as usual or, or something similar to that. Um, but what happens if we don't get to that number? Well, we will hit 85% one way or the other. Um, the question is how many people have to die to hit that number. Uh, were there ever times where you're sitting there and you're listening to several of the reasons that you played out in the article um, and you're going, okay, this kind of makes sense. I, I kind of understand where these people are coming from. And maybe if I were in their shoes, I would feel the same way about uh, being hesitant to get the vaccine. So this is very different than every other vaccine um, that you would give yourself or your child. Uh, this is new. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines both use a technology that has not been used before in vaccines. They were approved because the risk of taking these vaccines is lower than the risk of getting the disease or the risks associated with getting the disease as far as anyone with medical expertise, which I do not have has determined as far as I know. If you can stay in your house and not see other human beings for the indefinite future, um, there is no reason to get this vaccine. Um, you know, uh, immediately. That's interesting because one thing that we've learned during this pandemic is that immigrant and black communities are less able to stay home because wealth disparity in this nation has made it so that minority groups are doing frontline work more often than white Americans. Additionally, anti-mask Republicans aren't staying home, so three out of the four communities who Rachel says aren't getting the vaccine can't or won't stay home. So I asked Rachel about this dilemma. Yes, I mean, I think that one of the very hardest parts of reading the story, maybe it's not unexpected that there, but it is talking about immigrants or Black Oregonians. They have every reason, they've been given every reason not to trust authority. So for doctors to get up and tell people that, it, that they have not, as a group, treated well to do something for their own health is not going to work overall, or, or uniformly, I should say. In the article, one question that I had was, should I be getting the vaccine? You said that the cost-benefit analysis, should we buy that cost-benefit analysis, uh, it, even if we're not in one of the groups that, that, that might have valid concerns about getting the vaccine? Uh, well, I have a couple of different answers to that, but I would start with um, you'll have to make your own decision, and that's really scary for us all to say is that we have to trust each other to make the right decision because what you do will affect my life. Um, so that's one. Number two, I don't think there's there are a lot of unknowns, but the best experts I've talked to believe that it is worth the risks. And I haven't run into somebody who is not, who has an expertise in 
medicine or vaccination who isn't getting it. So that's two. Um, the third point I would make um, is a little more complicated. We've seen an utter meltdown in the fabric of our society around mask wearing. When I wear a mask, I wear it so that I do not give COVID potentially to other people. Essentially, the value at the root of that is kindness to my neighbors, not fear of the disease. And while if I were at, offered a vaccine, I would get it today. You know, vaccines are always a bit about taking a risk to protect the community as a whole, not just yourself. As one, ex, one doctor or an expert I talked to said, you know, that pointed out that's a little bit that's a little bit lacking in our society right now, that value of taking a risk to protect others. So that's what I would have you think about, Hank. Anything else that, that, that didn't make the cut in the article that you were like, oh, I, didn't, I wanted that in? The vaccine right now is only recommended for 16 year olds and above. And so if you want, the state is trying to hit 70%, not 85%, but even so, um, 90% of Oregonians above the age of 16 need to be vaccinated to hit the 70% herd immunity figure. Does that make sense? Yeah. 90%, I repeat, 90% of Oregonians. We're not gonna hit that number. After my conversation with Rachel, I got on the phone with Rochelle Dixon. Rochelle is someone Rachel quoted in the article, and she is a black activist and community organizer, as well as being the vice chair of the Multnomah County Democrats. I opened up by asking her why she isn't getting the vaccine immediately and if she's worried about dying from COVID. What I believe is the medical community is scary because people are like, are you worried about people dying? That's the, the world's stupidest question. We're dying anyway. You know, I'm out here, look, I got my Black Lives Matter shirt on. Black Lives Matter. They don't just matter when a police officer shoots, the, shoots them in the back. They matter in the medical community and we're getting shot in the back in the medical community. So we're not really overly concerned about a vaccine. And this is a white people's problem. This is not a black people's problem. Do I look scared? I'm not scared. We're dying of everything out here. We are not concerned about dying from COVID more than we're concerned about dying from racism, police brutality, um, medical mistakes that happen at a higher level, childbirth, we're dying of everything. COVID is just one. One in the, the sixth leading cause of death for black men is police. When COVID makes it past all those things added together, that will become my major concern. One of two things, I think there's two things that are going on here. Black people, people of color are much more likely to be working on the front lines, whereas white people are much likely, much more likely to be able to do their work and jobs from home. Explain the thought process there of why you aren't saying, oh, yeah, we've got some suspicions. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight tooth and nail to try to to try to reform healthcare for black and brown people. But because we're getting hit so hard by the coronavirus, we need to be getting the vaccine. Is that a little bit contradictory? I don't think so. I don't even think they're the same conversation. So the conversation that I think needs to be had is how do we get black, brown and indigenous people off of the front line 
and shouldering the bur burden of the United States to keep it running, why COVID is impacting our communities uh, at the highest levels? That's the question. The question is not how do we get black people to take a vaccine to make white people comfortable with our body autonomy. So it's my body. I'm going to make the choice about what I use. As long as I have that choice, I'm gonna dig in for questions. I'm gonna dig in for safety. I'm gonna dig in for uh, the black community to have trusted individuals they can speak to about this process. So what's making us unsafe or more unsafe than white people is our numbers on the front line, our numbers of grocery workers, retail workers, service industry workers, our interaction with people. COVID is not inherently, from what I understand, a different disease in black people. What makes it different is racism. So we need to address racism. We cannot fix racism with a vaccine. And I wish we could. So if you're just going to try and give black people on the front lines the vaccine so that they can keep doing the work that disproportionately subjects them to COVID and also pays less wages, because that's generally the case if you're on the front lines, except um, for like police officers and firemen and fire firefighters, um, then the, the disorder here that we need to treat is racism. The disorder is not COVID. Um, I'm, I'm not really uh, more scared of COVID than I am of cancer or any of the other things that I could die from. Um, I believe I had COVID in March. Um, no way to confirm that. I wasn't offered a test. I wasn't offered an antibody test. I signed up uh, at the National Health Institutes to see if I could participate in the study. Information was not circulated to my community about studies they could participate in at the time. I was willing and able to participate in the study, but after I saw seven, eight, nine months of no one being interested in me getting tested, no one being interested in getting, seeing if I had the antibodies, it was very clear that no one was interested in my, my outcomes. So the way that, sorry, go ahead. I missed that last part. I just said racism is the pandemic. If you had got me before March or even in April or June or July and said, did you want to take this vaccine? I, I would have more than likely gone to saying, yeah, give it to me. My fear left me after about 21 of my friends died of COVID. So you also probably don't have 21 people that died of COVID, I see your face. So you're looking a little surprised there, but every, every day my phone can auto, auto type condolences. I will wear my mask, I will isolate, and I spend a lot of time talking to my dog and my goats. They're very good companions. Not so much time with my goats anymore. I miss my goats. I used to have goats. Did you? I've got Nubian Nigerian and I got a little Swiss you know, goat, but I love my goats. To end this, we're just gonna play a little game. 
Um, and so, uh, and if you don't want to play, then, then let's not play. And it's called VAC or that. And it's, uh, would you rather get one of, do one of these things that are, you know, Portland things, uh, or, or get the vaccine and and they're going to be silly. Fair warning. They're silly. Um, would you rather participate in the naked bike ride using the Nike town city bike or get the vaccine? Naked bike ride. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, would you rather, um, are you a Blazers fan? Okay, would you rather watch the Portland Trailblazers draft Greg Oden over Kevin Durant on a loop uh, for an hour or get the vaccine? I'm going to take the loop. Okay, wow. Um, Would you rather eat Thanksgiving dinner with the family at one of Portland's many uh, strip clubs uh, or get the vaccine? Strip club. Wow. And the last one, this is going to be hard. This is the hardest one. Would you rather attend a city council meeting or get the vaccine? Oh, city council meeting for sure. Okay. Okay. Grateful for the little things I love. Wonderful work by Rachel Monahan on this story, and special thanks to Rochelle Dixon for her work, as well as coming on the podcast. We end our podcast with Quote of the Week. All thanks to Police Lieutenant Greg Pashley for this one. After a slew of robberies at marijuana stores in Portland, which left one store employee dead, Pashley gave us this gem. Quote, Robberies are difficult to prevent since, among other factors, the suspects have the ability to choose the time and place with no notice. I mean, just just brilliant stuff. Uh, Portland, fear not, because we really have our best brains on it, so uh, we're in good hands. Um, also, uh, special thanks to these weed robbers for giving a whole new meaning to the phrase, case the joint. I thought that was kind of clever when I came up with it, so it's in the show. Well, folks, that's our show. Have a great week and see you on the 16th. Stay safe, stay home. And uh, yeah, that's it. I, I always I always can end a show well, can't I? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Willamette Week podcast. For more information, go to wweek.com, follow Willamette Week on all socials, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at HankSandersPDX. Special thank you to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangnibon and the rest of the Willamette Week newsroom. Signing off, I'm Hank Sanders. This has been the Willamette Week podcast.